And if you do multiple services, uh, every preacher knows this, uh, you get better, you know, as you do it. So if you're doing, I've done as many as four uh, on a Sunday um, in our lineup. By the the third one, you're really good. The fourth one, you stink again because you're so tired. But Welcome to the Preaching Donkey Podcast, a weekly show where we explore how to preach life-changing messages. I'm your host, Lane Sebring, and I'm so excited to bring you inspiring and helpful conversations with amazing pastors and church leaders, all designed to help you take your preaching and leadership to the next level. And now, let's dive right in. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the Preaching Donkey podcast. I've got a great episode for you today. I sit down with Ron Edmondson, who has done a ton in ministry through the years and has a really helpful blog, ronedmondson.com. He's revitalized three different churches as the senior pastor of those churches. He was the CEO at Leadership Network for a time, and now he is at a church in Brentwood, Tennessee, where he's he's not actually the senior pastor. He is kind of the second in command. It's the first time he's had a position like that in his ministry, and he's going to share all the ins and outs of what that has been like and what he, how he leads his team, how he prepares for messages, because he still preaches often. And you're going to just discover a ton. There's so much wisdom in what he has to say, and I can't wait to show you that interview that's coming up momentarily. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't yet, if you're listening on Apple Podcast or Google or anywhere. Uh, so awesome to have you. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, leave a review, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. And if you're watching here on YouTube, great to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Give this video a like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. And I want to give you something for free uh, just for watching today or listening. If you go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days, you can pick up my free 21-day guide to creating killer sermons. It's a three-week, three-step process for how to create and deliver a compelling, life-changing message. So go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days to pick yours up there, my gift to you. So we're going to jump right into the interview. And honestly, there's so much that is covered in this interview that is going to be helpful. Everything from how to lead a culture of yes and a culture of no and what that means. One of the things that he mentions is that when you have a team member preaching who's not the senior pastor, uh, but they are preaching that week, how you can uh, benefit that person by affording them the same privileges that you do the senior pastor when they preach. And, And what that means is that typically if you're not the lead pastor and you're assigned a week to preach, it's really exciting and fun and cool, but you still have your job, <laughs> and yet you have Sunday coming and a sermon to write. And if you don't have a culture that understands the pressures of that, then it can really be harmful because that person now has to decide whether to prioritize the sermon or the work that they always have on their plate. And so uh, Ron gives a really good solution to that problem, and I think that's really cool. There's so much in here. I don't want to I don't want to steal the thunder of the interview. I want you to watch it or listen to it. So without any further delay, we're going to go straight to it for episode 14 here at the Preaching Donkey podcast, where we're going to hear from Ron Edmondson. Ron Edmondson, so great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. 
Well, thanks for having me. I've looked forward to this. Well, I, I've talked a little bit about you for those who might be unfamiliar. I know a lot of people know your work and what you've done. Uh, but for those who don't, what can you talk a little bit about your journey, just kind of deciding to do ministry, how and when that happened, and then your journey to get to where you are right now? Well, mine is a, a very long story because I had a long wrestling period with, uh, with God uh, about going into ministry. I came out of the business world into vocational ministry at the age of 38, and it was really a reluctant call. In fact, I've I've said almost every position I've had in ministry has been a reluctant call. So since surrendering to, to vocational ministry about however long that's been, 18 or 19 years ago, uh, we have planted two churches and revitalized three churches now, and then spent a, a, uh, some time uh, with Leadership Network. And um, again, long stories always, if you look back at my story, you can see the God thread through all of it. And we uh, just recently, in the last few months, uh, decided, well, last year decided we wanted to move back to the Tennessee area uh, to be closer to grandchildren. And I was going to do a lot of consulting and different things. And through the pandemic of 2020, just really decided I love the local church. I want to be involved in the local church. And so I took a position with Brentwood Baptist Church that's newly created position uh, here in the Nashville area. But it's my first in my career, other than early, early career, that I, first time I've not been the senior leader. I'm, I'm on a team. Now I'm leading the team, but I'm I'm leading under the authority of of, uh, of others on the team, and so it's it's a it's a new journey for me. And uh, you know, I've been asked throughout my career, how can you attract people who can sit in a second chair position and be first chair type people? And so I'm I'm testing those waters now. We'll see. Uh, and of course, you you record this ahead of time, so hopefully when this airs, I'm still doing what I'm telling you I'm doing today. You know, it's, it's, it's that new, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, um, leading the, uh, leading the ministries of the church. I have plenty of opportunities to, to preach and teach, but more a leader of the, of the staff and, and organization. And it's a great church. We've got eight campuses, um, and, uh, tons, tons of potential to reach the entire Middle Tennessee area here. Uh, so we're excited about it. That's awesome. I, I'm very curious how you answer that question when you've been asked, how do you assess whether a second chair leader is, is able to be the, the leader? What's your answer to that usually? Well, it was the number one question I was asked in, in coming here. And the, the um, senior pastor uh, here has been a friend a long time. We both led large churches. And so we shared a lot of notes with each other over the years. Uh, he was the one that reached out to me with the idea for me. Uh, but, but it, again, along the way, I was asked, just asked all the time, are you sure you can, you can live in this world? My wife was asking the same thing. My kids were asking the same thing. And really for me, it, it's, it's where's, how long's the runway? So how, how much, uh, how much space am I given to live out my own dreams, my own vision, my own, under the umbrella, obviously, I have to respect the vision that's here and the vision that's set. But how much, uh, how much um, free, uh, freeway and runway am I given to to kind of guide 
uh, and implement that vision in a way that fits with my leadership style, with, with the way I like to lead teams. Uh, how much am I able to shape the, the culture of how we lead here? And how much of a seat at the, at the lead table do I have? And so, you know, um, you know, being fully convinced that there's not going to be a lot of lids that I'm running up against here, that there's just a long uh, runway of opportunity, you know, it, it appealed to me and I was able to do it. But if you, if, if you want to attract first chair people to second chair, you've got to treat them as if they're first chair people, you know, and, and, uh, and that means they've got to be, have autonomy. They've got to have, and that doesn't mean, uh, you know, you also have to have humility in every level of leadership. I think, I think humility may be the most attractive quality in leadership today. And you've got to, so you've got to have uh, humility in that. So I'm not saying I want, you know, total autonomy. I can do whatever I want. That's not, right that's not part of leading a team uh some days my the teams we lead are are leading us and that's the way a healthy team is structured but giving that that freedom to explore is how you attract those those leaders that's good that's really good i think a lot of people will benefit from that because if an organization is unwilling to do that they really shouldn't hire first chair people that's correct yeah well, I want to dive into sermon prep and sermon delivery and that, that process, because I know you've done a lot of preaching over the years uh, at a high level. And one of the challenges that a lot of my listeners face, and really every, every pastor, every preacher faces, is this constant struggle of how do we plan ahead and what are the best practices for getting out ahead of, of Sunday, this week, this month, this year? Uh, so what have, what have you found to be helpful along those lines? Well, I try to stay ahead of it, you know, and um, it, it's like anything else. If if you approach it and, you know, you, you don't hit, you don't even start looking at it until Wednesday of Sunday's coming, you're going to hit all kinds of roadblocks, have all kinds of interruptions, have all kinds of things that are going to get in the way. And so I want to plan ahead as long as I can to, um, uh, to I, I, where I'm at now, we have a year and annual calendar. I don't, I haven't been able to achieve that many times for me, but I at least want to know, you know, conceptually six, nine months out, here's some places we're going. And then, and then, uh, and then longer, I mean, and then closer to it as we uh, back into uh, closer to it with more detailed plans. And so I'm, while we have, uh, let's say we're nine months out, um, nine months from now, I conceptually know what we might be doing, but along the way that gives me targets to begin to build notes for each, uh, for each series, for even for each message, perhaps that an idea comes to me or something I read or an illustration, I can plug those in. And then, uh, you know, a couple of weeks out, then I can start, fine-tuning some of that, writing an outline type of thing. And then the um, ideal for me is the week before, start to kind of shape that out a little, a little more detail. And then the week of, I can really get into crafting the message. So it's a kind of a funnel process that brings it down to, uh, to the week of. Um, and then my week is very structured uh, when I'm preaching. 
in that, and, and our team knows that, and our team knows that that's the same for anybody who's preaching. If it's a student pastor or you know whoever, they get the same privilege of blocking out some some considerable time that that they have to work on the message. So I'll typically Monday and Tuesday I'll do meetings because we always have meetings, and then Wednesday and and possibly Thursday I'm going to block out just to craft a message. Um, sometimes I'm working on that a little bit on Friday. I try to shut down completely on Saturday, not even think about the message. And obviously it's in the back of your mind and you're thinking about it. You may even have an illustration happen. I always tell my wife, if I don't have anything funny, sweetheart, Saturday's coming. You're going to have to do something funny. But, uh, so, so Saturday may just, you know, something pop in my head. And then Sunday morning I get up and I kind of go over it again. If I'm near some way to exercise and go over it, uh, like on an elliptical or something like that, then I do that on the elliptical and that um, gets my, all those endorphins and all that going and my energy going and allows me to, to just kind of look over it one more time, be ready to, to go with it and then deliver the message. And if you do multiple services, if, uh, every preacher knows this, uh, you get better, you know, as you do it. So if you're doing, I've done as many as four uh, on a Sunday um, in our lineup. By the the third one, you're really good. The fourth one, you stink again because you're so tired. But uh, but you it, you get better as you go, and uh, and that's kind of what you're. And and in the pandemic, uh, it caused us. Most of us were having to uh, record before Sunday. And I always told our our um, our staff, you know, it, it's especially the record the recording team. It's this is almost like the um, the forced rehearsal to do the online, but it's going to be better when Sunday gets here, you know, because I've had a chance to go through it with what appears to be a, a live audience kind of effect. And so, uh, yeah, that's that's the high level of of how I approach it. Um, I, I really like that. I want to dig into some some things that you said that I think will be really helpful to unpack. The, the first thing is you said something that uh, I think a lot of churches could really benefit from from hearing and implementing. And that is you said no matter who's preaching, the week of they get the same privileges that you do in terms of blocking off time. That's right. Uh, I love that. When I was a youth pastor and spoke a lot, uh, I had all the same things. I mean, when I, when, I would, when I would be called on to preach in the main service, which I loved to do, I mean, I have a passion for that. But at the same time, I had all these other things, right? Sure, um, sure. And I still had to get all this stuff done. It, it was a very frustrating process. So can you talk about what that looks like practically, how you communicate that to the team, how those boundaries are actually respected by kind of lower level staff persons? Yeah. Walk me through that. Well, again, it, it starts with uh, with me kind of um, speaking into that and casting vision for that. That you know what uh, what if they're gonna they may even need more time because they're not doing it as regularly as as uh, you know as as I am or I was, and so it begins with me casting vision around that. But it also has to do with uh, what I, I always try to instill in our in our church, I mean, among our staff, and that is a, uh, what I call a culture of yes and a culture of no. A culture of yes being, um, 
you know, I try to empower every idea that comes, you know, if you've got an idea, I'm going to try to help you figure it out. But at the same time, a culture of no, being able to say no to expectations placed on you from either the church or from other members of the staff or from me even, if you've got something else you're working on. So in other words, creating that culture of no to say, okay, my job this week is to be ready for Sunday. So I may have to say no to some other things and I have to be willing to run interference for them when the, uh, you, you know, when everybody's snipping at them to go do something else or, Hey, can they go? Why won't they help me with this? Because they have a job to do Sunday. We have to empower them to do that. Now that doesn't mean, you know, none of us, unfortunately, and I guess if you're, uh, maybe there's a few pastors in America that gets to say, all I do is preach, you know, there's not many of those. So you're still going to have some things to do during the week, but as much as possible, carve out the, the needed time to, to make that happen. And I try to sit, if it's a student pastor, we try to agree on the front end, what do you need to make this happen? And then, okay, let's try to build, um, build around that. And for some of them, um, you, you know, this, some, uh, a, a week's notice is not enough. And you may have to be asked to, step in a week. But if I know that I'm going to be having people fill in for me on a regular basis, then in the months ahead, when we're planning nine months out or six months out or four months out, I want to include them in the room in that planning process. If they're going to show up at any time in the process so that they at least have in their mind the same way I do, this is where we're going. This is, this is what I may be asked to preach about. And what that does is it does a couple of things. One, it gets them excited about it too and helps them better be prepared, but it gets them thinking for me too. So they'll actually send me stuff. Hey, I know we're preaching about this in six months. Have you, have you read this or have you heard this or, you know, so-and-so spoke about this. So you've actually, you actually put feeders out there in among your staff uh, for those ideas to, to present themselves. Oh, that's good. There, there's so much wisdom in that. I know that for, for those listening, I think if, if, if every church were to take that approach, a culture of yes and a culture of no, when those two things are appropriate, uh, that's a huge, huge insight. The other thing that you said is during your week, you completely cut off Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about why you kind of give yourself that space from the sermon and then come back to it on Sunday? Well, and it works for some and it doesn't work for others. I've talked to pastors that have to spend that time Saturday morning or Saturday evening. Um, but you've got to have some time because, um, you know, we are commanded to practice a Sabbath. And so Saturday is that day for me or traditionally has been. Um, and, you know, my, it's my wife's time. It was our kids' time when we were, you know, empty nesters now, but it's their time. So it's protecting the Sabbath is, is job one. But what it does for me in, in terms of preaching is it gives me some margin between the notes and the research and the crafting of a message and the actual delivery of it. And what I have found is if I'm prepared enough to walk away from it. Now, there's been times that I had to work on it Friday morning or even into early afternoon Friday in order to be ready to walk away from it. Uh, but it was very, very rare that I didn't take the Saturday away from it. 
so that when I came back and reviewed it again on Sunday morning, it was like it was fresh all over again. It's like I was not looking at it the first time because you've got all this information. It's, it's, it's like, and part of it too, and again, it's how people are wired in some different ways. I like to manuscript as much as I can because there's something about writing something down that places it deeper in your mind. And so as much as I can do that, then step away from it. When I come back to it, it's, it's, it's just like it's fresh all over again. And I can't wait to dive into it and, and, and unpack it for people. So it works for me. Again, it doesn't work for everybody. But what has to work for you is at some point, even if that's Monday, and I never understood the pastors that took Monday off, you know, the old joke, why take off on the most miserable day of the week. <laughs> um, if it's Monday, if it's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you've got to have a day just to refuel and, and recalibrate and, and be away from, uh, from the grind. Yeah, I think there's a, a a lot of wisdom there, and and I, I for me that day is Friday, so I I pull away entirely from the from the sermon on Friday, and then I revisit it briefly on Saturday, um, and it's it's interesting because you said that uh, if if you lack an illustration, you're telling your wife, hey, listen, you better do something funny, um, you know, it's interesting. The best illustrations always come, at least for for me, my experience has been. Um, on Saturday, a lot of times, if, if I don't have anything that really makes it pop, I'll go through it with my wife and she will come up with, she, she's, she could be a comedy writer. I mean, she's like, yeah, yeah say this. And, it would be, great. and I'm like, yes, that's it. Yeah, so, that's right. But I think if I didn't have that space, to your point, if I didn't take Friday and back away from it, I wouldn't have that energy on Saturday to yeah. think about it. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah. And, and the, the last thing you mentioned before, I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, exercise because you mentioned just the getting those endorphins going. And I think a lot of people are very one dimensional in their approach to study. It's just, they're sitting at the desk and they're reading the books, staring at a screen. So can you talk about what that does when you get on that elliptical and you go back over it? Yeah. Uh, so I've had a practice, uh, I'm working on a message as we record this. And, and so, um, and I'm at kind of, um, I'm two weeks out from it. So I'm kind of on a mid cycle with it. Um, and I've got a ton of notes. Um, yesterday I had a window of about an hour and a half, which uh, is, I'm in a new position. So it's rare to have an hour and a half window. But I did, so I printed out the notes that I had. I went to the gym, got on the, um, actually got on a bike and and um, with the notes in, in my hand, just kind of went through those. And that just, um, the that was the best time I've had on that message so far. It was the most clarifying. There's something about the connection of getting your body movement moving that moves your mind and, and your, your energy around whatever you're studying. And, and so um, I don't think it's an accident at all. Uh, I think it's intentionally designed that way. And so, um, uh, yeah, for me, if I can do that on Sunday morning, I'm just that much more energized and, and ready to go. I used to uh, uh, drink a, a Red Bull. Uh, every uh, My boys said that wasn't healthy. Um, yeah, but I would go running at that time. It was when I was still running. 
So now I, I'm relying on that, uh, on two things, exercise and hydration, and both are very, very important. So I want to be very hydrated on Sunday morning. Um, uh, actually, I get up every morning, this free tip, and drink two glasses of lemon water. I've been doing that for 10, 15 years. It, it wakes me up better than coffee, and I still drink coffee. But, uh, uh, but on Sunday morning, I'm drinking that, and then I'm drinking a bottle of water um, before I speak each time. Um, now, hopefully, that cuts down on the amount of time you can speak because you have to go to the you're gonna have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, but uh, it allows it. It's I, I've just learned it's just a tip I've learned over the years, and I'm not feeling quite as energized. It's likely because I'm not hydrated enough. That's uh, that's a really good practical tip. Um, you know, it's funny when you talk about staying hydrated. I thought about my throat because here in I'm in East Tennessee. The I don't know how it is in, in Nashville, but in Knoxville, the allergies are just yeah totally. unreal. Um, and so if if I if I'm not hydrated, my throat just goes out. I mean, it'll That's just right. go out. Uh, but yeah, what you said is true. You, you you ramp up the need to go to the bathroom. It's like, yeah, yeah. I got, that last song is playing, and I'm beelining for the bathroom. Well, I'll drink about four bottles of water every Sunday. You know, so I I am uh, that I'm preaching. I'm I'm constantly hydrating myself. Um, and it, it, I, I've just found over the years it works for me. Uh, well, so, so you've got, this has been really helpful. You have the workflow down. Um, and I think you've obviously got a very intentional process that you work through to prepare a sermon. So let's talk about the actual sermon content itself. And particularly one of the things that a lot of pastors I feel like miss out on is the, how powerful their words are when they're speaking and what they can speak into when they're preaching that can affect the whole organization. So can you talk about uh, what has been your experience with leading through kind of your, your voice as a pastor or as the pastor in that, in that situation? Well, yeah, you know, I'm not somebody who hangs on words personally. So uh, I always have to tell our team, you know, listen, listen to the philosophy of what I'm saying, not the words that I'm using. But when I'm preaching, it's actually the opposite of that. It people, because there are people who hang on words. My wife is one of those. She she'll say, you said this. Now, if I'm not preaching, you know, I'm like, sweetheart, you know, I didn't mean that. That's not who I am. Listen to what, you know, listen to the big picture of it, not the details. I don't have that freedom in when I'm preaching to a room, a large room of people, many of them don't know me. And so I have to be very careful with the choice of words I use and the way I, I say something. So one of the reasons that I try to script out, especially the key points that I'm making, so that I say it exactly as I intend to say it, uh, not as, you know, not, not ambiguous and not allowing multiple interpretations, but um, so understanding that words matter, um, you know, whenever I'm behind the podium or I have a microphone in my hand, people are hanging on the things that I say. So that is the biggest opportunity for me to move the ball forward missionally uh, for our church in accomplishing our vision and, 
in implementing change, in introducing new concepts. So I was always very free with you know our communications team or or whoever our missions team or groups, uh, small groups, whatever. If they had something they were trying to move forward, that I would be willing to work to to interject that into my message. It could be as simple as, hey, before I get started, I want to I want to say a couple of things. But it could also be that's the illustration that I use in uh, you know in when when we're in the biblical text to say you know one of the ways that plays out here in a very practical way is what we do uh, in terms of missions or what we do in terms of groups or why we promote you being active and serving in some way here in the church or in the community. So I'll use those those things we're trying to move forward as a church and use my stage time and stage presence to help move those forward. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, uh, you know, if there's anything probably said about me in terms of, of my leadership style, it's strategic. And I see the, the need for the, the message to not only be biblical and, and moving people forward and making disciples, but strategic in the sense that I don't have that opportunity to be in front of people that many times. That's good. That's good. And, and I think what you said, and I think it's really good self-awareness to say that to, to realize that you, you're, you're not a person that hangs on every word, but you understand the importance of the words in a sermon. Um, one of the things we talk about at preaching donkey is having a, a disciplined economy of words. Uh, that you're not going to waste a word when you're preaching because you risk so much when you do that. You could take people who are hanging on every word and they decide it's no longer worth it and they tune out. And I think when, when you're talking about casting vision, uh, it's, there's, there's probably nothing more powerful in the church in terms of the communication than what comes out of the main stage from the, the pastor. They're just Right. So I think stewarding that very carefully is, is really important. I, I really like that. And, you know, I can make any time we can have announcement segment and somebody says it, but if I say it as a part of my message or at some point, it just, it, we know that, you know, that's why every ministry of the church wants the pastor to announce their whatever, because it's, it's going to, so I have to protect that too. And that's very important also, um, uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I wrote a blog post uh, several years ago about how I determine what I talk about. Uh, and it, it's based, and I, uh, I could, I could uh, regurgitate some of it, but basically it's, it impacts the, everybody in the church. You know, this is mission critical for everybody. So it impacts on, or at least a large segment of our church. So I don't do birthday announcements, you know, and that sort of thing. But it didn't, and, uh, you know, I don't, um, it's not something, um, I, I try not to waste my voice. You know, you kind of alluded to that. It's, it's too important. So uh, it needs my voice to move it forward. If it can be accomplished somewhere else, go do it that way. Right. But if only, if it has to have my voice to it, then, then you know, that raises the importance of it. Um, you know, if it's mission critical, perhaps, you know, we can't continue on. If this doesn't happen, then that lends my voice to it, you know, that type thing. Well, and one of the things I've found is that sometimes 
um, it kind of is a, is a great marriage of two things that really work. Because if the announcement could also serve as a really great application step to this point I'm making, and right. a very tangible, here's how you can go do this, we're doing this thing next Friday, um, that can be really helpful. Um, Absolutely. Well, so I know you, you've, you've done uh, extensive work in leadership and consulting, and I know you wrote a book called The Mythical Leader. Can you talk a little bit about the, the vision behind that book and how it would be uh, helpful to those listening? You know, I wrote that book. I was actually recruited to write that book based on a uh, series of blog posts I, I did just kind of talking about some myths. Uh, the first myth is, uh, is, uh, it takes a position to be a leader that you got to wait till you're in that had the title before you can actually lead. And that's just one example, but, uh, of the seven, but the, when I wrote that, um, somebody gave me a tip years ago when you're writing to have your audience in mind and you'll write better if you're writing to that audience. And so I had a young, um, new, perhaps leader, younger but new leader that I was writing to saying you know if I was starting over again I'd want to know these things these are things you it takes you a little while to understand but if you understand them early it's just going to help you that much more and so I wrote to that 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 newer younger uh, leader uh, it's been interesting to see how so many have said this is practical stuff for my mother uh, took the book and she said, you know, this has been so helpful in me interacting with people in the assisted living center that I'm in. And, you know, I've been uh, using that to, to talk to them. So, I, you know, that was um, encouraging feedback. Of course, I came from your mom, so it's only about half, you know, accurate. But <laughs> still counts. But it's still, yeah, that's right. It still counts. So that was really the philosophy behind it was helping those, those newer, younger leaders on board um, better and avoid some of the costly mistakes a lot of us leaders make. That's great. Well, I definitely encourage all of our listeners to go check out The Mythical Leader. I'm guessing it's, it's on Amazon and, and things yeah. like that. And also definitely everybody go to ronedmondson.com. There's a lot of really great, helpful leadership blog posts there and content. Uh, there's even a guide that you can get uh, that, that's really, really good. The 50 50 things on that guy that look really interesting. So really great resources available at ronedmondson.com. This has been really helpful. I think a lot of people listening uh, can take uh, the insights that you've shared and, and implement them. It'll be really helpful. So I appreciate sure. you so much for being on. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you. So there you have it. That was my interview with Ron Edmondson. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. He's got a ton of wisdom to share and I hope you go and check out ronedmondson.com and all that he has there. Also his book. Go check all those resources out. It'll be really helpful to you. And that is a wrap for this episode. Be sure to go to preachingdonkey.com slash 21 days to get your free guide. And I will see you in the next episode.